Caution, you are about to enter the speed zone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into the Speedcast, episode number 122. Coming at you from a record date of October the 21st, 2021. Alongside Darren Baxter, I am Jeremy Smith. I am back in studio this week. Um, apologize for the scheduling conflicts that we've been running into a little bit here lately. But back nonetheless, and uh, we have our uh, first entrant into the round, or into the championship four, I should say. We do certainly, Jeremy. Not necessarily a name that we were probably surprised about, but... Uh, <laughs> no. I, w- I was going to say the only thing that was of surprise maybe was the manner that he won this race, but then again, considering who the victor was, we're not surprised that he led as many laps as he did, so I'll let you have the honors as far as introducing who this fine young gentleman is. <laughs> not at all. Kyle Larson, so again, surprise, surprise, his second straight win uh, in these playoffs now, um, leading 256 of the 334 laps, going on to victory and obviously securing his spot in the championship four. He's been the favorite all year long and continues to show why he is the championship favorite, and now he, he will race for the championship in Phoenix. And like we said, you, you can't be surprised at this point. You know, you win yeah. as many races in the regular season as you have. And, you know, I also, let me stop for a second. I have to pat myself on the back for, right. I, th- for I think, maybe making, <clears throat> if it wasn't my first, maybe only my second correct race uh, <laughs> prediction, you know, for a victor <laughs> all season long. I finally got it right. I don't know. It was just one of those things that with Larson's propensity for dominating at races this season, even in a couple of them that he hasn't won, he'll still somehow right. lead, like, say, 300 out of the 400 laps or whatever, and just does it again in just, you know, yep. such a convincing fashion. So I'm not surprised whatsoever that he is the first guy to lock himself into the championship four. Neither am I. And uh, behind him is teammate William Byron, who is out of the playoffs now, but did have a strong run, leading 55 laps, coming home in second place. So. He's got to be disappointed a bit just because of you know how his uh, previous you know his round ended before this. Yeah, I mean certainly so. I mean you know th- does lead fifty five out of the three hundred thirty four right. laps, so certainly a good day for him. But yeah, just very disappointing to exit out and then you know you turn around and you have a good finish like this <laughs> exactly. that would that would have been very helpful had yeah. he been trying to get into the championship for. But a good day for him nonetheless because you know still a lot to race for here in these last couple races for sure. Christopher Bell, who was it was out of the playoffs as well, came home in third. Brad Keselowski who's battling his way, trying to get into the championship four with a solid run, coming home in fourth. And Kevin Harvick, who is obviously out of the playoffs now as well, coming home in fifth. And I was really curious as to how Harvick would do because I kept thinking he was maybe going to make a charge and you know potentially be a uh, non-playoff winner at this point anyway. But doesn't quite happen for him. So, yeah, it's a fifth place. But in all honesty, the disappointment continues for him, unfortunately. Yeah. Not a disappointing day for Ryan Blaney as he came home sixth, so obviously making more headway as far as trying to get into the championship four on points. Right behind him, Chase Elliott finishes seventh, Kyle Busch finishing eighth, so you have three more playoff drivers right, right there in a row. Tyler Reddick, a non-playoff driver, he finished ninth in this one. And then Daniel Suarez actually rounded out the top ten, and uh, actually a very important name to mention because Suarez involved in some... Uh, late race action with Martin Truex Jr. that basically put Truex into the wall and cost Truex what was probably going to be a halfway decent finish. So yeah. there's another example, really, of how non-playoff drivers, maybe they don't win, but they can definitely make an impact on the race in other ways. Absolutely. So obviously we'll look at points, but Truex obviously was impacted by that for sure. Uh, looking beyond that, a shocking uh, non-top-10 finish for Denny Hamlin. Yeah. Coming home in 11th, uh, Eric Jones came home in 12th. 
Matt Benedetto in 13th. Austin Dillon came home in 14th. Uh, Kurt Busch in 16th. And then a couple more I'll take. Michael McDowell came home 17th. And Eric Almarola in 18th. Then I'll mention a few from here. Uh, Chris Buescher, he comes home 21st in this one. David Starr making a rare Cup Series start. Yeah. I think this is what, maybe only the first or second time all season. He finishes a disappointing 23rd. And then Martin Truex Jr., the aforementioned Martin Truex Jr., yeah. disappointing day for him, crashes out and finishes 25th. And as we'll see, obviously not what he wanted, you know, trying to get into that championship four. And just a few more notables from there. Ross Chastain, he finishes 28th in this one. Joey Logano, speaking of disappointing. Super disappointing. You know, I knew, obviously, that he hadn't had the best of days when it was all said and done, but I did not realize he was this far down in the order. Very disappointing 30th place finish for him. Just a few more. Bubba Wallace finishes 32nd. Alex Bowman comes home 33rd. Ryan Newman, 35th. Then the very last one we'll mention, Ryan Priest comes home 36th. So as we transition from there over to the point standings, Obviously, as we're heading into the championship four right now, your top four as it stands at the moment, as we're down to eight drivers, Kyle Larson, of course, has advanced with his victory. It's his third victory in the playoffs, his eighth overall this season, I believe it is correct. Mm -hmm. Ryan Blaney sits in second. He has a 17-point cushion over fifth place uh, at the moment. Denny Hamlin sits in third with a nine-point cushion, so it's obviously shrinking. And then Kyle Busch sits in fourth, final transfer spot, with an eight-point cushion. So it's funny, really, that even a driver like Ryan Blaney, and, of course, Hamlin and Bush, they're not safe by any stretch of the imagination. No. I think Hamlin out of the three maybe is sitting the prettiest just because, you know, sure, he's only won twice this season, but both wins have come in the playoffs. Exactly. So certainly at this point, I think as far as just momentum with race victories are concerned, he's probably the biggest threat out of the three to maybe win and get his way into the championship four. But like we said, until that victory comes, if it comes, it's not safe by any stretch of the imagination. For sure, for sure. And then you're uh, four drivers that are below that playoff bubble. Obviously, these ones are not safe because if it all ended right now, they would not be in the championship mm-hmm. four. You have Chase Elliott sitting in fifth, currently eight points below the cut line. Brad Keselowski currently in sixth, 15 points below the cut line. And here's where it gets interesting for the two playoff drivers that we mentioned had disappointing days. Martin Truex Jr., who's had a great season to this point so far, by virtue of that 25th place finish, sits in seventh in the standings right now. 22 points below the cut line. Yeah, and yikes. You, and if you, think that get, or if you think that is bad, it gets even worse for Joey Logano. Logano, after that 30th place finish, sits in 8th in the standings currently, 43 points below the cut line. Not, yeah. not quite eliminated as far as points are concerned, but already at this point you have to say, unless he gets some major help, it's almost a winner-bust scenario for him. Yeah, he's put himself in the worst position possible here after race one of this round of eight. So, yeah, he's in a very tough spot for sure. Out of those guys below the cut line, obviously Chase Elliott's in the best position. Mm-hmm. Only eight points out. Obviously, you can get that back, you know, you know, in points in a race, uh, you know, at, at no issue, especially if, you know, uh, Kyle Busch doesn't have the best day or, or obviously if Elliott wins the race, then that obviously changes everything. But regardless of that, I mean, it's – you know, below Elliott, you see it really stretch out, especially below Brad, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. So we're going to have a really fun next two races as we go to Kansas and then Martinsville before we head to the championship race in Phoenix. So it's going to be fun. We always say, of course, you know, the heat getting turned up, so I don't want to sound like a broken record because you don't even need to say that. But just, yeah, with these next two races that we have, I mean, you know, if you thought that you've seen an awful lot of action, bumping and banging and such – 
it's just going to be that much more coming up this weekend and then, of course, next weekend at Martinsville, uh, where it's yeah. always crazy anyway. So right. you, you add this playoff drama into the mix, and it's going to be absolutely nuts. Yeah. And, heck, there's still that chance, going back to Chase Elliott, there's still that chance that the feud between Harvick and Elliott may rear its head yet again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so just so many storylines just playing into this whole thing, and I say it all the time, but as a race fan, it is so, so exciting. It is very exciting. You you hope you hope cooler heads will prevail because you would yeah, hate to see yeah. some, some kind of on track. And I hate it I wasn't able to be on the show last week to kind of discuss oh, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you would hate to see another on track altercation, you know, you know, and, and you talked about it last week, you know, impact who the champion is. You know, if you know, say a situation where Elliot's leading and he's hypothetically trying to pass Harvick who is a lap car and then Harvick decides to take matters into his own name. Like that situation like that would be a really big just black eye on the sport in a way because <laughs> Yeah, I get it. he's the most popular driver, but that's not even the point in the matter. The fact that if he's in position to win and Harvick decides he doesn't care and just takes him out, you hope you hope nothing like that happens because we want to see who the legitimate champion is. Mm-hmm. We think Larson's going to be the champion based on how he's been, but we don't know that yet. There's still yeah. three races left to, to run. Exactly. Obviously still a lot to determine in the three races, but I say even as a Kevin Harvick fan, that say if that scenario were to come up, I definitely do not want Kevin Harvick to get involved and ruin it for Chase Elliott because, again, it's all about maintaining integrity for that championship. Right. You know, so you you just you got to let it be settled on the track, but not in the wrong way, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. So now we're going to go over to the look at this past weekend's Xfinity race from Texas Motor Speedway, the 2021 Andy's Frozen Custard 335, and your winner in this one, uh, John Hunter Nemechek, coming home with the victory, which you know a bit uh, surprising considering you know he running in the Truck Series, wanted to get some track time since the Truck Series is off this weekend. Comes away with the win, mm-hmm. and oh yeah, dominates the race, running in the Joe Gibbs 54, uh, leading 92 laps. I mean, that that's really impressive. He already announced he's coming back to trucks again yeah. next year, but I mean, I think he showed what he can do in the Xfinity Series right there. Agreed 100%. <clears throat> so I mean, yeah, if he has another solid year in trucks next year, like we know he's going to, because obviously, oh, yeah. obviously the speed with Kyle Busch Motorsports and then just the talent, obviously, that's present with this driver you know that he's going to have a great year next year in trucks. Definitely. And so, and so it gets me just itching. It's like, okay, well, if he comes up to Xfinity, say maybe for Joe Gibbs Racing or one of the other top-tier teams, what might he do at that level? Because if he goes on a tear starting to win, like we have just seen that he's capable of doing, mm-hmm. if he has a you know a, a crazy season in Xfinity, maybe wins a championship, you never know. Possibly if the right opening comes up at the right time at the Cup Series level, maybe get an elite team that comes knocking on his door, and we might get the... Uh, Maybe not so much the resurrection of John Hunter Nemechek in the Cup Series, but you would get maybe the uh, reemergence, if you will. Yeah. And uh, really, really <clears throat> see what this driver is capable with the best equipment possible. Again, if that opportunity comes knocking. Absolutely. Coming home in second in this race, Daniel Hemrick, a uh, run that he needed. Coming home, or excuse me, leading fifty-five laps in this race. Coming home in third, Noah Gregson, big run for the uh, for him being a playoff driver. Justin Allgaier coming home fourth. Austin Sendrick in fifth. So a lot of familiar names up there. Sendrick as well uh, led 34 laps in this one. Yeah, so obviously a great day for the playoff drivers. Really the only one, obviously, John Hunter Nemechek, who's a part-time driver, who's not in that playoff mix. Right. So, again, a great day for playoff drivers. And that even extends to your next couple finishers. You had A.J. Allmendinger finishing in sixth in this one, led 13 laps in his own right. Justin Haley came home in seventh, followed by Harrison Burton in eighth. So, again, several playoff hitters right there. Right. Michael Annette, who also had had a good season outside of his leg injury, he finished ninth in this one. And then Brandon Jones rounded out the top ten. Coming home in 11th, Jeb Burton, Riley Erbst in 12th. Uh, Sam Mayer came home in 13th in this race. Ryan Segan, 14th. 
And Kaz Kerala rounded out the top 15. Then just some of your notables outside of the top 15. You had Brett Moffitt coming home in 16th. Tommy Joe Martins finished 18th. Austin Hill, of course, Truck Series regular. He finished 20th in this one. Maya Snyder came home a disappointing 21st. And then two more that I'll mention. I'll let you take the last few. Alex LeBay, he finished 24th. And then Joe Graff Jr. came home 26th. Spencer Boyd came home in 28th. Jeremy Clemens in 29th. Uh, Brandon Brown, uh, your winner from a few weeks ago at Talladega, came home in 33rd. David Starr, 34th. And uh, the last one I'll mention is uh, J.J. Yaley came home and did last in 40th. And as we transition over to the playoff standings for the Xfinity Series, leading the way right now, A.J. Allmendinger, um, that, you know, with his win last week at the Roval, right now currently uh, has a 30-point cushion over that cutoff at the moment. Austin Sendrick is in second, a 26-point cushion. When you get below them, <laughs> it drastically changes. Uh-huh. So that's a, you, you obviously have your two front runners right now. Justin Allgaier sitting in third, a four-point cushion. <laughs> Talk about a drop-off for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Noah Gregson sitting in fourth, despite the slow start all season, he caught fire in the playoffs. Right now he sits in the top four, but only a two-point gap over fifth place. So that's the crazy thing, really. For for all of the headway that Noah Gregson has made, you know, and obviously as of late, like you said, just really a house of fire, just looking really good. It's only good enough, though, at this point for him to be two points above the cut line. Right. So that shows you really what an in-season slump can do, unfortunately. Absolutely. So for him, you know, obviously a lot of work to get to where he's at, and that's certainly great but only a two-point cushion, so you're certainly not safe. And even going beyond that, let's take a look at these next four drivers that are below the cut line. You have Daniel Hemrick sitting in fifth, two points below the cut line. Mm-hmm. Justin Haley occupies the sixth spot. He is six points below the cut line. Harrison Burton, who still shockingly has not won yet this season, he sits in seventh, 21 points below the cut line. And then the final driver, Brandon Jones, he sits in eighth, 32 points below the cut line. So nobody necessarily out of it by any means at this point, but obviously, you know, just like the Cup Series, you see these 7th and 8th place drivers probably <laughs> probably going to need to win to get in. Yeah, I, I think the one driver that I feel the worst for at this point, not because of where he is, he's in a good spot, it's Daniel Hemrick because we saw in this race, you know, this past weekend, yet another spot where, you know, he finishes second, you know, leads a lot of laps, looking like he's maybe going to finally get that first Xfinity Series victory you know, and it slips away because of a late caution, and obviously uh-huh. just John Hunter Nemechek had such a good car all day. Right. And even that's an important point to think about. We did not even mention the fact that John Hunter Nemechek winning this race this past weekend at Texas took away a potential qualification for the championship four by virtue of a victory. So that's obviously important to mention. I, yeah, yeah, I, I failed to mention that as well. It's great. It's a great observation, but yeah, you're right, 100%. It's just, it's funny how that works, really, because again, you know, say Daniel Hemrick, you know, if he somehow passes John Hunter Nemechek or he holds him off, not only does he get that first Xfinity Series victory, but he locks his way into that elusive championship four at this point, because let's be honest, you know, at this point, there can only be potentially two playoff drivers that win in these next two weeks. Mm -hmm. I would say just based on points, if these two drivers do not have horrible days, I really feel like, honestly, two out of the four positions belong to Allmendinger and Sendrick at this point in that championship four. Yeah, I would say barring a catastrophic development. Um, I don't think there's any doubt. <laughs> so, Jeremy, I'm not going to take your thunder away on this, but, uh, you know, just interestingly, it's like we didn't really have a whole lot of news and notes this week. Um, so just right. kind, of, kind of when we were doing our pre-gaming for the show, we kind of thought to ourselves, well, what if we did like a little <clears throat> bit of a commentary, so to speak, you know, and you could, you know, if you're the listener, you could say, well, geez, you guys just commentated on, you know, the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series. <laughs> what more is there to commentate on? It turns out there's an awful lot more to commentate on. And the first thing we'll look at basically is an article that came out this week on AutoWeek.com. We're basically just talking about, you know, some of these continued notions of what the next generation car might present for NASCAR starting in 2022. 
Larry McReynolds quoting as saying NASCAR has, quote, only one shot to get the next-gen car right. And even before we dive into more particulars of this, I think just even this headline really, not only is it attention-grabbing, but I certainly think it's right on the money because we've talked ever since the beginning of the Speedcast where, you know, just this notion of NASCAR, you know, popularity going down a little bit or in some cases only just, you know, holding steady, not really increasing. I think Larry makes a very strong point here because, you know, if they have tons of trouble out of the gate with this car like they did with the car tomorrow, you could see that maybe resulting in more fan backlash, you know, again, because we've already seen a precedent yeah, with that you, back in 2007. Yeah, exactly right. You cannot have a situation where, um, you know, you're you're trying this new car and you keep having to make, you know, um, tweaks to it and keep having to make changes to it because different things aren't working or it's creating really poor quality of racing and just whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, I, I get his point for sure because you see the popularity of the sport beginning to grow little by little. So you can't, you, you don't want to reverse that and go back a few steps by having this new next-gen car completely flop. So mm-hmm. you've got to make it, and I hope, and they were smart with when COVID happened to delay it a yes. year. Yeah. They mm-hmm. definitely needed to do that. But, you know, now they've been, you know, they've been testing everything all year, different tracks, different, um, you know, you know, ways of testing. They've been testing packs at super speedways. They've been testing, you know, single car runs. They've been testing, you know, all kinds of different tracks, road courses as well. So you just got to hope that, you know, this is going to work. And when we see this car run, you know, at the Daytona 500 in February, that it that it's ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's going to be the first real uh, litmus test, honestly. You know, which I think the quality of the racing should be good just based off what we've talked about on the show, just yeah. with, you know, the seemingly positive feedback that drivers were giving. But this article really, I think even just going further, not only just with Larry McReynolds' quote, but, uh, you know, just with some other folks. I want to just mention real quick, this article was uh, written by Mike Hembry, so I wanted to make sure we give credit to him. Um, Basically, he quoted actually Chris Gapehart, who was the crew chief for Denny Hamlin, who basically compares this whole thing, again, the notion of the next-gen car, comparing it to consuming a large elephant. Um, Gabehart was quoted as saying, the bigger teams have a group of development people, whether it be mechanics, engineers, aero guys who are solely focused on that. It's such a large undertaking, not only just from the new car aspect, but literally how you're going to work on them, how you're going to set them up, and what tools you physically need to work on them. It's a massive, massive undertaking. So we have a team of personnel who've been focused on that for months. As it, as it gets closer, all of us are starting to pay more attention to it. And that right there, I wanted just to really uh, stop there for a second, Jeremy, because I know, again, this is Chris Gapehart, you know, Denny Hamlin, obviously the Toyota camp. But I feel like this one quote really just encapsulates everything that we have seen in the 2021 season so far. And what I mean is just, you know, with these differences as far as, you know, some of your drivers who unexpectedly have won at some tracks. Um, and then, like, let's say the folks like Stuart Haas Racing, who just all season have struggled as a whole. Yeah. Really, I think what Chris Gabehart was quoted as saying here just really underscores how most of these teams, sure, they've obviously been running week week by week in 2021, but clearly they have had all eyes forward in 2022. You know, and again, I think even they know how much that this is important, not only just to get yeah. this right from a competitive standpoint, but I think just as far as getting it right for a good look for fans, too. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's exactly right. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, the drivers like it and that it's good, you know, for them. But you also want to put on a good show for the fans as well. You don't want to put out, you know, a product where the races are really boring to watch. You don't want to put out a product where, um, you know, where it looks like it just almost looks like an assembly line of cars, mm-hmm. an accordion-style type of uh, situation, which we have seen with different, um, you know, cars in the past. So I really hope this works, and I hope it's ready so that whenever they start up in February, 
um, that they're ready to roll. And you know there's going to be even more testing and things done in the offseason oh, yeah. just yeah. to kind of, you know, just to ramp up to get ready. Yeah, certainly, because that's the thing. Like you just said, the testing's not over, certainly. There was even like a further quote from Toyota Racing Development President David Wilson who he basically called the switch to the new car a, quote, revolutionary step for our sport. We're going to be taking a product to the racetrack here in a few months that for all of us is still so new. We're going to be collectively drinking through a fire hose, trying to learn and trying to understand what it is we're dealing with. And then the final major quote, I love this one. We're going to be working on the airplane while we're flying it. That's a little terrifying, to be honest. <laughs> uh, doesn't mince words, does he? No, not, yeah. not whatsoever. And you certainly have to appreciate the honesty because, again, yeah. sure, it might be yeah. you know Toyota Racing Development's president, but this is going to extend also to Chevy and Ford because, oh, you, sure, know, yeah. you know, again, they've done the testing. They know some of what they have under their fingertips, but really, in reality... You know, they are going to be learning kind of on the fly, I think, as they did with the car tomorrow. You're right. You're right. You just got to hope that the success of this car is going to be much better than what the car tomorrow was. Agreed. Please. Yeah, definitely. And I think think at least from a look standpoint, you know, sure, maybe there's been some people who they've kind of raised their eyebrows a little bit from the number placement and maybe potentially a little bit with the aerodynamic look of the cars. You know, certainly I've not been one of them. I think that the aerodynamic look certainly looks fine. I like that it looks more like, you know, say what you're going to see on the showroom floor at dealerships, for example. Yeah, yeah. the only thing left really is the performance because I know there were some complaints, say from Kyle Busch and Jeff Gordon, when they got you know notched some of their first victories with the car tomorrow. First thing they do is they step out of the car and you know they're you know being asked by the interviewers at, at in victory lane, you know what, what was it like driving a car? And I remember Kyle Busch saying something along the lines of, "Well, it really stinks to drive it." Yeah, I'll and remember, this is, and this is after it. him winning it. Yeah, I remember you know? <laughs> I remember him being really upset with how bad it drove, even after winning races. That you know that was. And that was during the stretch where he was winning tons and tons of races every single year. Exactly, so. yeah. So certainly hope that we don't get any situations like that going forward and we can alleviate any frustrations, you know, as far as that's concerned. Right. Speaking of frustrations, we mentioned, of course, that, you know, in lieu of news and notes that we were going to have more commentary. Let's go back to the notion of uh, playoff commentary. And especially, like, these drivers that basically, you know, let's say, like, you know, for example, Martin Truex Jr., who I think is a perfect example, and even he was quoted, uh, and so was Daniel Suarez in this article, basically just the notion of, you know, sometimes playoff drivers getting involved in it and ruining each other's day, sometimes non-playoff drivers getting mixed up with playoff drivers and ruining things for them. And there's several quotes that we'll go over in this, but I think just the first one, for example, and uh, obviously we'll censor this, try to make sure we don't include the expletives in this. But like, you know, for example, Martin Truex Jr. was heard over the radio saying, you know, after the crash with, uh, or that was basically pushed it, or he, that he was pushed into by Daniel Suarez. Right. He said, ah, ah, crap, I thought I gave him enough room. And then Suarez obviously upset. Well, I don't know what the F he was trying to do, man. I was right there all the time. So basically, you know, just the notion of battling for inches. Right. You know, and you see one driver, Truex finishes 25th, costs him dearly in the playoffs. Daniel Suarez finishes 10th, seemingly nothing to gain, so to speak. But in reality, there's an awful lot there to gain because when you're on a small team that's still, you know, basically, maybe not so much fighting, but still trying to, you know, kind of inch their way through as far as potential sponsorships, you know, race purses, all of that sort of stuff, there still is a lot there for a small team, even, if, even if they aren't a playoff team. Sure. So, you know, just from that, I realize they're very short quotes and there's not very much being said there. You can just sense the frustration because, you know, there's only so much room out there for the drivers, and you can't necessarily expect that a non-playoff driver is just going to move out of the way completely. No, no, no. I mean, I do feel not necessarily non-playoff drivers, but I do feel um, you know when it's a situation where a car is a you know a lap down or multiple laps down that they should get out of the way every time, no matter what, um, because at that point you have nothing to gain. But yeah. mm-hmm. in this situation, you know, I don't feel that you know Suarez did anything wrong in this. You know, in this particular instance 
I get the debate, you know, you you know, cutting him a break, you know, because of the fact that he is running for a championship and I guess he, he could have and then and then he continued on and that way neither of their cars got damaged, but mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh again, I didn't I didn't foresee or I, I didn't feel like he did anything malicious or, or wrong, honestly, in my in my view. Yeah, I mean I didn't either. Daniel Suarez has never been known as an overly aggressive driver that's gonna be like hard, you know, to race with and not give people room. So and especially because, you know, to the best of our knowledge, he's never had beef with Martin Truex Jr. So yeah, no. there's not really anything there that that suggests basically that he was trying to be malicious in his intent. I thought it was interesting though. Kyle Busch actually had something of a hot take. Surprise, surprise! Never one, never one to shy away. As, we, as we just all. as we just mentioned with the car of tomorrow, never one to shy away. But he was quoted after this race at Texas as saying, "There's a complete lack of respect everywhere, all over the place." <laughs> so it doesn't matter if it's a playoff driver or a non-playoff driver. The way this has gone on the last four or five years with a newer generation coming in has completely ruined it from what it used to be. Now it might be exciting for fans, but all you get is more torn up stuff. I have to take a step back on this one, though, because I agree with everything you just said as far as, you know, just, you know, Daniel Suarez, you know, not necessarily trying to be malicious and whatnot. But what Kyle Busch is saying here is almost seemingly to me like saying that, you know, this kind of hard racing was never a thing, whereas we know that it's always been there. I mean, look no further than, say, like Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Terry Labonte just going back, you know, to the old Bristol battles where they mixed it up several times on that track. Look no further than Kyle Busch. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Himself. like. Mm -hmm. Tell me, this guy didn't race people hard? Still does? My gosh, he was involved in so many incidents over the years that he would get himself involved, get himself taken out because he was racing someone so hard. Exactly. So, come on, man. <laughs> if, if anything, you could even say that Kyle Busch's, you know, his, I'm going to use the word propensity again, but his propensity basically for that hard driving style, especially really early in his career, really probably cost him more victories and, you know, good finishes and, you know, maybe even potential early championships in his career. That all cost him more than we probably even realize. Because you never know, maybe had he been a little bit more calculated and, you know, just less aggressive back in those days, you never know, he could be a four-time champion at this Very point. Possible. I mean, there is always that potential there that history could have been different. I find it interesting, though, that even a driver such as Brad Keselowski actually in some ways kind of backs him up. Brad was saying, or Brad was quoted as saying after the race that, yeah, there's no respect out there at all. No, we're all outlaws, so you just shut up and deal with it. And then in contrast, his teammate, it's just, I found this interesting, his teammate Joey Logano uh, said that he sees it from both sides. Mm-hmm. He said, "You've got to realize, kind of what we were talking about a moment ago with uh, with uh, Suarez. You've got to realize everybody out there is racing for something. Um, it may not be a playoff position. It may not be racing for a championship, but it might be someone racing for twentieth and points, and that's a big bonus for their race team for them as a driver. So, like you, you know, you you were just saying, you know, a guy like Suarez, you know, a new team, kind of you know working their way up, you know, getting a you know a, you know extra money as far as for the purse." To be able to continue to develop the race team, continue to grow, mm-hmm. and you know for sponsorships, etc. Exactly. So uh, I like Joey Logano's take on it. I think there's real honesty there, but also just looking at both sides. Speaking of honesty, probably my favorite <sighs> one out of all of them. And again, we'll make sure we'll censor this. But Ryan Blaney, another of the Penske drivers, was quoted as saying, "You have to be an a-hole now. <laughs> That's just what it is. Whether it's on restarts on the racetrack, you have to be that because if you're not, to an extent, you can't just go run into everybody." But if you're not on the aggressive side as far as calculated aggressiveness, you're just going to get taken advantage of. That's just how you got to do it. Yep. I'm going to assume that probably uh, that mentality, so to speak, was probably somewhat imparted on him by uh, his father, Dave, who obviously over the years, maybe not so much in NASCAR because he wasn't competing for victories as much, unfortunately. But obviously Dave Blaney in the lower level, certainly you know, winning tons of races you know, before he got to NASCAR, 
and probably in some ways had to fight for quite a few of those victories. So I'm sure Dave probably just over the years probably imparted some of that wisdom on Ryan, sure. just you know, just knowing that at the end of the day, unfortunately, it is usually every man for himself. Yeah. So we go from frustration, you know, on the track as far as these playoff drivers, you know, the bumping and banging, to frustration but in a different realm of NASCAR. And this one kind of hits home really for you and me, Jeremy, because, yes. you know, when we were young, we were huge fans of the NASCAR video games. Me specifically, NASCAR 98, and I'm sure you said that you would play that one, and I know you played some of them in the years after that. Basically at this point, you know, we know that the main series for NASCAR on PlayStation and Xbox the last few years has been NASCAR Heat. And you and I, obviously, we've spoken before on the show of how we've played some of the last few installments of NASCAR Heat, and we thought that they had a pretty good product there. And obviously, there was things that they could have improved upon and changed, but we thought that they had something certainly to work with. The big thing right now, which we haven't really covered this on the show yet at this point, so it even gives us a good chance really to catch up. The new game right now, basically, that's being worked on that's actually going to be released a week from today as of this record date, so a week from today will be October 28th. The game is not going to be a continuation of NASCAR Heat. It's actually going to be called NASCAR 21 Ignition. So the idea is basically, you know, you rebrand the franchise, acquire some smaller video game companies, acquire their technology. You know, you can put their physics models into your game and not only just rebrand just in general, maybe for trying something new, trying to see if you can attract new people that way, but basically a chance to really revolutionize your game and really just, uh, you know, take it to the next level here in 2021 yeah. where video game technology obviously stronger than it's ever been. Right. And the big thing is, obviously, these things are extremely important because, again, going back to this thing about NASCAR's popularity, it kind of going down a little bit over the years, we think that some of that has to do with NASCAR video games just not really being, uh, I guess, seemingly not as well-received as they had been, you know, back when you and I were really playing at the time. Exactly. So this article is interesting. This, I hope I pronounced this correctly, this is uh, jalopnik.com, basically talking about that the new game for all the the hype and all of the, uh, I guess, the anticipation of how it's going to be Unfortunately, it's looking like that they are stumbling out of the gate with this one. Basically, uh, there's not really anything officially to quote here as far as a hard quote, so to speak, but basically this article just talks about that, you know, one situation, for example, of one of the Twitch streamers basically showing off the game, uh, I guess somebody who obviously had early access to the game, Mm. running a race at one of the big, I don't know if it was a super speedway, but I know it was one of the big oval tracks. He's running the race on the track and basically is leading on the last lap, and the game just randomly teleports him into pit lane for a pit stop. You know, and let that sink in for a second. Pretty crazy. Yeah, you let that sink in for a second because that's obviously a huge problem. Um, The article goes on to talk about, though, basically how not only did this occur, but basically this little pit stop sequence, if you will, just kept looping over and over again. And basically this Twitch streamer basically, uh, you know, just disheartened and just not feeling good about the situation, just deciding to really emphasize what's going on. Just left the screen going, left his uh, Twitch stream going, and decided to go to bed. And apparently when he woke up nine and a half hours later, the loop was still going of this pit stop sequence just continuing on over and over again, only stopping when the game finally crashed. You know, and not Insane. to and not to really like, you know, I don't want to necessarily call out the developers of the game or really like try to say shame on you or anything like that. But I'm just, you know, really setting this stage because I think it's important that just in an era where, again, we feel like it's very, very important to get these games really good, just, you know, basically make them really good just out of the gate. And obviously you can pull in fans that way, and especially younger fans who are, you know, maybe getting introduced to the sport for the first time through these video games. It is crucially important to get this stuff correct out of the gate. But yet, unfortunately, it looks like that is not happening. And some things I see, uh, according to this article, are missing from the game as well, despite its great visual uh, effects. The stage, like the stages that are in NASCAR currently, are not in the race, or not not in the game, I should say. Uh, apparently, there's a complaint about lack of caution flags, inconsistent corner cutting, um, just unhelp, not very helpful uh, information 
from the you know from the spotter like yeah. AI spotter as well. So it sounds like there's definitely going to be some. Um, the good thing is with the technology, you know, they can hopefully put in some updates and do a software patch update, be able to fix some of these things. You would hope, um, but that's a lot of things to fix. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is, and it just. I think just going back to a very recent example of where we saw something like this that just really, you know, ruined a uh, reputation of a game was, what was it, Jeremy? It was uh, WWE 2K20, I believe it was. They had their issue with their game, and yep. basically the day one patches, the bug fixes, all that, they they seemingly, they were behind from the eight ball, or excuse me, excuse me, they were behind from the very beginning, pretty much always chasing, you know, basically chasing their own tails, trying to get this thing fixed. And I don't even know to this day in 2021 if the game was ever fully fixed. Mm-hmm. But I bring that up, though, because it eventually got to a point where basically 2K, the creators of that game, they basically had to cancel plans for WWE 2K21 and basically say, okay, we'll be back for 2K22. We're going to put this game on a two-year development cycle and try to reconvene and get something really good out then. And that's just really unheard of, basically, in this modern realm, again, with uh, these sports franchises for video games where they have the year- yearly releases every single year. Yep. And, you know, and just again, this is, you know, again, not trying necessarily to throw anybody under the bus or be disrespectful or anything like that, but just this was really a huge opportunity for NASCAR and, you know, again, for the uh, video game developer to really get this right from the get-go, build a game that's just extremely, extremely good, especially because you already had some technology from the NASCAR Heat series that you could have built off of, and yet here we are. And unfortunately, again, it looks like there's going to be, you know, day one bug uh, fixes, patches, all that sort of stuff. But yet, you're probably going to see something of maybe a backlash from gamers, or uh, more importantly, just people who, well, I don't care. I'm just not going to buy the game. Right until, just, until I hear that it's you know working better mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, I know. And it just hurts the sport again, as far as you know, just that future, as far as popularity and such, and just uh, I don't know. It's disappointing for us because you know you remember Jeremy, we'd get these games on day one, and there weren't any major issues, and we'd be right out of the gate just playing them, just having a ball, and that made us that much more excited to watch the races on Saturdays and Sundays. And yet again, something like this, you could see people just, right. you know, unfortunately not taking it that way. And, well, I don't even care about watching now because I'm just I'm dissatisfied with it. Right. So just really disappointing. And I don't know, I just, you know, certainly thought that it was worthy of commentary on this. Because, yeah. again, you and I, we were fans of these video games growing up. Oh, my gosh. I got them all the time. The You know, starting all the way back with NASCAR 98. And then, it, you know, went into the NASCAR Thunder games. Oh, yeah. You, know, you got into yep. early... 2000 so yeah absolutely and i think even dale earnhardt jr actually talked about like nascar thunder just how important it was to him and i think even he had mentioned like you know when he wasn't racing like actually like literally racing you know the number eight car back in the day he'd sit down and he would play nascar thunder and i and i know he mentioned recently in interviews just how important he felt that the video games were for the future of nascar and just the appeal to reaching a a more broad fan base and so just yet again, I just can't underscore enough that when you can't get it right out of the gate here with a chance to really rebrand and re-revolutionize your game, if you can't get it right out of the gate, it's just so, so disappointing. It really is. Well, it's that time now. It is race pre- preview time as we go to Kansas Speedway this coming weekend uh, for race number two of the round of eight. Um, and as we head there, we are going to look at, obviously, the average finishes for these eight playoff drivers and a few additional drivers. And, in fact, we're going to start off with a non-playoff driver mm-hmm. right here from the, from the jump. Uh, your top average finisher at Kansas Speedway in, in his among active drivers is Kevin Harvick. In 31 starts, he has three victories to go along with 11 top fives and 18 top tens and an average finish of nine, 9.1. So, I mean, really strong career, really strong runs that he has had over a long career here at Kansas. Definitely so, and just very interesting to see this because I think I had said last week, so maybe I'm eating my words a little bit, (laughs) I had said last week looking at the Texas preview that I thought that Texas maybe represented his best possible chance 
to win a race here, you know, these last couple, and just to maybe try to salvage his season, if you will. Yet here's a golden opportunity right here, apparently. Sure is. So, you know, he finished fifth at Texas. We know that Kansas is something of a similar layout. I know that Stuart Haas Racing, and especially the four team, they have struggled this season on these intermediates. So who knows? We'll see what they have because, you know, they showed at Texas that they had some decent speed and they could run, you know, towards the front most of the day. Yeah. But, but can they turn right around, not only do it again, can they maybe compete for a victory? Mm-hmm. And it's the ultimate irony that the driver right behind Kevin Harvick happens to be Chase Elliott. So it just adds that much more to that story. Exactly. In 11 starts at Kansas, Chase Elliott has won here once, has five top fives to his credit, seven top tens, and a very similar average finish of 10.5. So you have to figure literally and figuratively, judging by... Uh, you know, these past results, these two drivers, they may be right near one another all day. And there's going to be just that te- that tension just right there, just boiling. And who knows, what, what, what is going to happen when it finally reaches that boiling point? Is everything going to explode? It very well might. So the situation between the two seems like Elliot has passed it, but for whatever yeah, reason, yeah. Harvick doesn't seem to be. <laughs> and, and, that is, and I don't really know why. I don't know either, and that is so fascinating because Kevin Harvick at this point, you know, obviously in his 40s, he's you know certainly no spring chicken at this point in his career. You would have thought that he was past all of this. It's kind of in some ways, it's almost like, and again, I say this as a Kevin Harvick fan, but it's almost like you're seeing him revert back 15 years as far as just as, what his mentality used to be when he was with Richard Childress yes. racing. It's yes. like he's reverted back in this mentality, and I know some of it's probably because of frustration just with what's happened with the four team this year but why now i just i don't get it because it seemed like kevin harvick just had more he just had more of a cooler head than this ever since he went over to stewart haas racing something this year though i don't know what it is maybe something in the water there at the uh, water coolers at stewart haas <laughs> racing i don't know <laughs> something's definitely got him uh got him you know pretty pretty livid this year especially i mean like i said it's been a frustrating year so i mean i get it but yeah you just hope cooler heads prevail mm-hmm Next driver on the list, Brad Keselowski, 23 starts here with two victories. Uh, to his right, seven top fives, 13 top tens, average finish 11.3. So your top two playoff drivers, Elliott and Brad, both uh, both have won here. So mm-hmm. that's a, you know, encouraging for those two right off the start. Definitely. And I was going to say absolutely crucial for Brad Keselowski because we see where he is right now in the standings. Right. Even after a halfway decent finish at Texas, which really wasn't all that bad and normally would be good from a point standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't enough for him because he still sits in seventh currently in the standings. So the fact that he has won here at this track twice is a very important omen for sure him is. because, again, it's looking like he may need to win. And even right behind Brad Keselowski, you have a driver who's in a similar boat, and that's Martin Truex Jr., who similarly has won twice at this track, Mm -hmm. albeit in 26 starts. Outside of that, he also has nine top fives, 13 top tens, and an average finish of 13th. So again, you can really say Truex in the same boat, probably looking like he's going to need to win here too. Interesting that the next playoff driver has also won here before. (laughs) Denny Hamlin, 26 starts here with three victories, eight top fives and nine top tens, and an average finish of 14.4. So Every one of the four playoff drivers that we've mentioned so far have won here before. So that's an interesting thing to just to, to wrap your head around, you know, when we go into these picks in a little you know, in a few minutes, you know, the fact that, you know, the top four have, have all won here. It's mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting thing to consider. And it's funny, Jeremy, piggybacking off of that, we just said the first four drivers from the playoffs that we've looked at have won here. Let's go ahead and make that five, because next on the list we have Kyle Busch. In 27 starts at Kansas, he's won here twice, has nine top fives, 13 top tens. Sure, the average finish dips a little bit to 15.1, but when you've won at this track twice and you're currently sitting fourth in the standings, yeah. you know, granted he doesn't have a whole lot of wiggle room, but again, maybe that just, you know, what's happened in the past, him winning at this track, maybe that might represent, you know, obviously a good omen for him. All I can say is so far with these first five drivers, you know, for the playoffs anyway, that they've all won here, 
that shows you really just how wide open this field and this race is going to be on Sunday. It absolutely is, yes. Uh, the next guy, or, you know, the next playoff driver, I should say, Ryan Blaney, the first one that has not won here in 13 starts, doesn't have a victory, of course, like I just mentioned, three top fives, six top tens, an average finish of a solid 15.8. He is currently sitting second in points. However, if he finishes, say, 15th, 16th, though, like his average, mm-hmm. and then you see guys like Chase, Brad, Truex, Hamlin, all those guys, Kyle, finish in front of him, you know, you could definitely see that fluctuate, and you will see that fluctuate oh, yeah. a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly Ryan Blaney at this point, you know, certainly in the best position out of all the other drivers that haven't won yet. But that's the thing, Ryan Blaney, like you just said, not safe whatsoever. So even yep. if he can't win, or if he can't pick up his first win at this track, obviously has to make sure he stays out of danger. But at the same time, I say this all the time, he can't be tentative. He still needs to collect as many points as possible. 100%. So who knows? Even though he's sitting in second in the standings, you got to figure he's probably sweating a little bit. I would think No so. other way to look at it. One driver who we know with extreme 100% certainty is not sweating at this point. Next on the list, you have Kyle Larson. No, he's never won here in 13 starts. Granted, he only has three top fives in the 13 starts and five top tens. It, you know, and the average finish, you know, very mediocre, 16.6. But Jeremy, at the end of the day, none of that matters because nope. he, ju- he just won at Texas. He's already qualified for the championship four. Obviously, he'll run as well as he can in these next two races because he's you know, just going to want to stay in the swing of things, keep that momentum going. But, heck, he could crash out in the next two races, and it wouldn't matter. He's already qualified. He's exactly. probably He is probably in the best position out of all these drivers. I don't know if it was Steve Letarte or Jeff Burton mentioned in the broadcast, but basically whoever wins, if he's a playoff driver, who whoever was going to win that race at Texas really was in the best position of all because you have several extra weeks to be able to just focus completely on Phoenix and, right. and prepare for that race more than anything else. Yep. And just that works perfectly in Larson's favor because just with the season he's had, you know, he's already the front runner anyway. You have that much extra preparation time. Like I said, he's sitting pretty. He sure is. The last playoff driver um, is Joey Logano. And even though he's the last one, he's won here before. 24 starts, make it three times he has won here in his career with eight top fives, nine top tens, average finish of 17.5. He is eighth currently in the points after a dreadful day Mm -hmm. at Texas finishing 30th. A victory for him would mean the world. He's only won once this year, but a victory for him locks him into the championship four, and that bad finish at Texas completely gets uh, forgotten uh, with a good day at Kansas. So pretty crazy. Six of your eight playoff drivers have won here before. One of them has already won in this round in Kyle Larson, so your only one that hasn't won that is still fighting is Ryan Blaney. So it is completely wide open Mm -hmm. when you consider who is going to make it. Who are the other three drivers that are going to be making it into the final four? It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and even just again outside of that notion of uh, you know drivers who are playoff drivers winning and getting qualified that way, we know for su- we know for sure at this point there is going to be at least one driver who's going to have to point his way in. So even that's kind of a, a race within the race, if you will. Oh, for sure. So yet again, it's just certainly something to think about. But uh, I don't know honestly at this point. Uh, you know, I know we're getting ready to go into our picks, but at this point, I still really honestly don't even know really who I'm going to go with it's, because just I, like you said, it's so wide open. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's really tough. Pick. It's so hard to isolate it and to make a pick based off everything we just went over. Yeah, it's it's it. This is a tough pick. This is one of the tougher picks in a while, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But um, I'm reverting back to my to my ways, and I'm putting you on the spot here. All right. Who do you got this Sunday? Right as you were presenting it, it came to mind. And, right. I'm, and I'm not going purely off of best stats. Obviously, it goes without saying I'm picking a former winner amongst the playoff drivers. This driver, like you right. would, like you just said, only has one victory so far this season. 
He had the poor finish at Texas. I think all will be forgiven, though. The sins of Joey Logano in the 22 at Texas will be forgotten and forgiven, if you will. I got Joey Logano Sunday at Kansas. Well, that would be obviously huge for him. Um, I it it suddenly came to me as well who I think is going to get the win. That's Danny Hamlin. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. Uh, Hamlin's had a really strong playoffs and had a I mean wasn't a bad finish, but finished eleventh, which was a little surprising considering yeah. he was outside the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wouldn't shock me a bit. He's won here three times before, but again, we're picking these two drivers, and it's again. Any of these other ones could still obviously win. I mean, Elliott's got the best average finish among all the playoff drivers. Run here eleven times, so obviously he is in you know a great position to to win here again. So there, Brad Keselowski, uh, Martin Truex Jr. I mean, this it's wide open. Um, this is going to be really fun to see which you know if any of these drivers get into trouble, get into an accident, have pit road mishaps, mm-hmm. you name it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it all develops. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you know whether it's drivers getting in trouble or those pit road mishaps, we see them on a week by week basis. And usually at this point, yeah. very late, obviously in the playoffs, is where you see more of that start to rear its head because you know inevitably some folks are going to fold under that pressure. Yeah. it's just a matter of are they going to fold at the wrong time. So, you know, obviously at this point, you know, you win if you can, eliminate all mistakes, but don't be tentative. It's just, I don't envy any of these drivers because you have to do absolutely everything right. right. And, you know, going back to this theme of aggression and, you know, just drivers going at one another, you really, as Ryan Blaney said, you have to be uh, basically calculated in your aggressiveness. You're right. (laughs) So it's just just crazy. And at the end of the day, the real winner, I think, us, the race fans. Just can't believe we're, um, you know, going into Kansas and... Three races left. Three total, I mean, yeah, three total races left. After this one, after this race, so we now after this preview, only have two race previews left mm-hmm. this season. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, I mean this one has gone extremely quick. I know I say that all the time, but you just you can't underscore it enough. This season has gone extremely quick. Heck, we're at the end of uh, covering our third season, or almost at the end of covering our third yes, season so. of the Speedcast, which that's pretty crazy to fathom as well. It I, is. I can't believe how fast it time is. has gone on. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Excuse me. Um, yeah, so that's that's all the time we have here on this episode of the Speedcast, folks. Darren's got Joey Logano, which would be a huge win for him after the bad finish at Texas. I've got Denny Hamlin to continue his strong ways and advancing to the championship four. That's, all, again, all the time we have here on this episode of the Speedcast. Thanks for listening to episode number 122. Remember to go subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Go give us a follow on Twitter, at the Speedcast, and give us a like on Facebook as well. Darren Baxter, I'm Jeremy Smith. Thanks as always for tuning in. Enjoy the races at Kansas, and we'll be back next week.